0: Well, today we're going to be doing an exposition of the 76th Psalm. So please turn to Psalm 76. Again, we're teaching King James um, through this particular series. And last week in our exposition of Psalm 75 was a psalm of victories to come. But in this Psalm 76, the psalmist sings of the victories and triumphs already achieved. The theme of this psalm, or song, is a triumphant war song. The Hebrew names of God in this psalm are Elohim, God, and Jehovah, Lord. Though laying out a division of this teaching is not necessary, but for the sake of, this, of, this, uh, of the organization of this sermon, I will divide or separate this sermon, uh, uh, by the, or this chapter, I should say, by the Salahs that we will see at the ends of verse, verses 3 and verse 9. And again, we know that Selah, is the psalmist is saying, pause. It's a pause in the stanza, beginning with verses 1 through 3. In Judah is God known. His name is great in Israel. In Salem also is his tabernacle, and his dwelling place in Zion. There break he the arrows of the bow, the shield, and the sword, and the battle, Selah. In verse 1, it's saying that Judah and the tribe of Judah, we must understand, represent the entire nation. Many Christians may not realize that our Lord, by his sovereign providence, placed Jerusalem right smack in the middle of planet Earth. If you have a globe in your home, look at it. And spin it in your hand. And you will see Jerusalem right in the center. As it says in Ezekiel 5.5, Thus says the Lord God, This is Jerusalem. I have set her in the midst of the nations and the countries all around her. And it says in Psalm 114, Which is a theophany. Again, a theophany is a visible manifestation of God. In Psalm 114, which, Lord willing, we may be teaching soon, says, When Israel went out of Egypt, the house of Jacob from a people of straying language, Judah became his sanctuary, and Israel his dominion. The sea sought and fled. Jordan turned back. The mountains skipped like rams, the little hills like lambs. What ails you, O sea, that you fled? O Jordan, that you turned back. O mountains that you skipped like rams. O little hills like lambs. Tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob who turned the rock into a pool of water, the flint into a fountain of waters. The God of these scriptures, as you know, uh, yesterday I was preaching the gospel at two different abortion mills and one lady had told me I already believe in God and I as she was ready to enter the place to do an evil deed to the child and I pled to her and I said do you believe in Jesus and she said yes do you believe that he was conceived that he died that he went to the cross that he was buried he rose again on the third day and she said yes and you do not feel guilty about entering that building and she says no and I said, you are a living proof, ma'am, that an intellectual belief of God or Jesus or that even he died, buried, and rose again, an intellectual belief is not salvific. Ma'am, you must be saved. You must repent and be have your heart circumcised by the Holy Spirit. She didn't understand the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. She had formed Jesus into a figment of her own imagination rather than submit to the image of Jesus as the Christ, the Christ of these scriptures, Almighty God. you see, the God of these scriptures is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's the God that we preach from the pulpit. That's the God that the church believes in. But His name is not great just in Israel. His name is great over the entire planet Earth and the entire universe. And his son is the one who died for a diverse populace of people from all over the world, all over the the universe, which is his church, the Bride of Christ. This is the God that we serve. August Tholock said back in the 1800s, The church of true believers, true believers, is now the theater of the glory of God. We live in, Christians are in the kingdom of God. Every person that is saved now belongs to the kingdom of God. The kingdom of light. As you are transferred into his kingdom of light. As you are adopted as a son of God into the family of God. But imagine that being able to say what Mr. Tholuk said hundreds of years ago, that, uh, that, that being a Christian, you are in the theater of the glory of God. We've all gone to movies, we've all gone in theaters, and we've all been in theaters, but as a Christian, as a saint, you belong to the theater of the glory of God. That's holy ground we stand on, my friends. And then in verse 2, it says... And Salem also is his tabernacle and his dwelling place in Zion. The Salem here is the Hebrew word Shalim, which means peace. Geographically speaking, this is Jerusalem. They are two of the same. This is also the same place that Melchizedek was king. But Jesus is the prince of peace and the king of kings. Moving on to verse 3. Listen to this. There break he, the arrows of the bow, the shield and the sword, in the battle, say law. Again, the Hebrew pause in the stanza, say law. There's a reason why he asks us to pause here to reflect on the glory and majesty of of the Most High God. That God broke these things. He destroyed them. He tore them apart. You see, a strong military strategy is to engage in strategic warfare, where we don't just attack thy enemy as a nation or as a, a milit- an American military, but we do our best to destroy the enemy's offensive and defensive weapons. I remember when five-star general German Schwarzkopf, oh, I love that man. I love that man. I think it was 1990 when we actually got to see how they did this. On television, when they, the Pentagon finally allowed the Americans to see how they strategically will take a city apart as they go in there and infiltrate it and bomb it, so in the post-modern era, we would engage in preemptive strikes to take out their communications infrastructures, their computers, their transportation, and/or natural resource infrastructures. We do that strategically. You see, that is what God, Elohim, did right here in verse 2. To protect his people, his church. God broke their offensive weapons and then their defensive shields, destroying the enemy and winning the battle. Because the battle belongs to the Lord. This is why this church has never allowed the coronavirus to persuade us. This is why we're not afraid of Joe Biden, nor Joe Mama, of what they might do to us. Isaiah 54, 17 says, No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper, and every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment thou shalt condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. And Jesus said in Matthew 16, verse 17 and Jesus answered unto them and said, Blessed art thou, Simon bar for flesh and blood hath not received it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I shall also say unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth... Shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt lose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. While researching America's military war room, I'm you're, you're sure you've seen the president, different presidents over the decades in a war room, as they watched war strategies take place, as the leaders of our military and the Pentagon's would actually allow even the president to see the war occurring. Live time on their live feed. And I was looking at the war room for the sermon and and then later decided to omit all of it that I was going to be putting into this sermon because I realized it probably went on a rabbit trail. But speaking of strategic warfare and how God destroys the enemies, both offensively and defensively, I came across a movie that I never saw and I watched the end of the movie. It's a movie called War Room. It's supposed to be a Christ-centered movie. I don't endorse the movie because I haven't seen it. But evidently there's a scene at the end of this movie called War Room where a sweet darling black lady by the name of Miss Clara prayed at the end. I put it on our Facebook page. This prayer was amazing. You know, most prayers in these so-called Christian movies are man-centered, This was an awesome prayer, as little Miss Clara prayed at the end of this movie called War Room. And see, that's why this church holds a weekly prayer service. If we want the Lord's protection, both offensively and defensively, then we must continue to be a church that labors in prayer, individually but also corporately. Prayer is an important part of our war strategy, because the battle belongs to the Lord emphasis added on labors in prayer that we must be a church that continues to labor a prayer and i thank god that this church does just that and not only that i hope on the other six days of the week that we are doing what paul commands us to do and that's to pray without ceasing prayer is a part of the war strategy because the battle again belongs to the lord God doesn't want fast food, drive through prayer service. He wants us to diligently labor in our prayers. Keep continuing to do that as a church. So thankful for that. Now with verses 4 through 9. Thou art more glorious and excellent than the mountains of prey. The stout-hearted are spoiled. They have slept their sleep, and none of the men of might have found their hands. At thy rebuke, O God of Jacob, both the chariot and the horse are cast into a deep sleep. Thou, even thou, art to be feared. And who may stand in thy sight when once thou art angry? Verse 8. Thou didst cause judgment to be heard from heaven, and earth feared and was still. When God arose to judgment to save all the meek of the earth, Selah again another pause in the stanza verse 4 thou art more glorious and excellent than the mountains of prey we went from prey p r o a y now to pray P-R-E-Y the mountains here are described as both glorious and dangerous magnificent beautiful but also dangerous Nonetheless, we must behold the glory of the creator of this creation. Behold the glory of the creator of these mountains and the deserts and the valleys and the seas. And we must fear God more than fearing the dangers or the predators of these mountains or the predators of the meanest streets of our communities. Because God is more glorious, more awesome than anything or anyone else. God is unmovable and unchangeable. He is unshakable. And that is why, church, this church beholds to the doctrine of God's divine impassibility, that God is without passion. There are some Reformed Baptist churches that do not believe in this doctrine. And that's why they no longer belong to our association, the Central California Association of Reformed Baptist Churches. But let me read this One paragraph of chapter 2 On the doctrine of impassibility This is deep in theology Check this out The Lord our God is but one only living and true God Whose substance is in of himself Infinite in being and perfection Whose essence cannot be comprehended by any but himself A most pure spirit Invisible, without body Hearts or passions, who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, who is immutable, immense, eternal, incomprehensible, almighty, every way infinite, most holy, most wise, most free, most absolute, working all things according to the counsel of his own immutable and most righteous will. For his own glory, most loving, gracious, merciful, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth, forgiving iniquity, transgression and sin, the rewarder of them that diligently seek him, and withal, most judge and terrible in his judgments, hating all sin, and who will by no means clear the guilty. Wow! This is the God of the scriptures that is God's biography brother Nathan's going to be teaching that eventually because as you know and now he's teaching one Sunday a month on our Sunday school and eventually he'll get to that chapter and paragraph of the confession of faith and I have a feeling that we're not going to be able to teach that that he's not going to be able to teach that in one Lord's day one Sunday school moving on to verse 5 The stout hearted are spoiled, and they have slept their sleep, and none of the men of might have found their hands. It says, The stout hearted are spoiled. Tantamount to what's happening, or what happened, excuse me, to the Assyrian army, the stout hearted warriors suddenly dropped their weapons, and they became powerless. One word from the God of Jacob. One word from the God of these scriptures and the riders and horses sank into their deep sleep of death. God spoke things into existence with his words. That's why the word of God is powerful because God's words are powerful. In verse 6 it said, And thy rebuke, O God of Jacob, both the chariot and horse are cast into a deep sleep. Imagine if authorities or criminals had to recreate uh, the scene of a mass casualty crime scene, or perhaps the National Transportation Safety Board would have to comb through the aftermath of the of the uh, of an American uh, or a commercial airline tragedy. August Tholuck described this. Verse six is this. Listen to this. The poet describes the scene, speaking of verse 6, the poet describes the scene as if we were walking along with him through the camp, which so lately was full of life, but is now silent as death. The chariots were dead, the horses were dead, and the army of men were all in their deep sleep, which means dead. They were dead in their sleep. But make no mistake church the Lord our God still intervenes today as he did then God is still the same just righteous holy God that is angry with the wicked every day thanks God for every person in this congregation that is saved know this that he loves you that he loves you because God demonstrates His love towards us, Christians, so much, and that yet while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Isn't that beautiful? That's part of the Gospel. Verse 7, Thou, even thou, art to be feared. And who may stand in thy sight when once thou art angry? Here's another double emphasis, I mean a triple emphasis. We've read many double emphasis through the Psalms, but here's a triple emphasis on God. Thou, even thou, art to be feared, and thou art angry. Perhaps most professing Christians today do not discuss fearing God, and probably perhaps because they don't fear God, which means they haven't even, if they are saved, they haven't even graduated kindergarten Christianity yet. Because the Bible says in Proverbs 1.7 that the beginning of knowledge is a fear of the Lord. But now that Christ, know this, if you're saved in this congregation, that Christ interposed on your behalf. And Christ interposed on behalf of His church so we no longer have to be afraid of God. But we certainly do need to have a reverential respect, awe, and fear of God. You see the difference? When I was in the world, I should be afraid of God. As the scripture says, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. But as a born-again believer, now I just fear God. W.S. Plummer, another old school man hundreds of years ago, said this, The repetition of thou gives a sense much as if the psalmist had said, Thou alone To be feared, very commonly, so rendered, to those who oppose God, he is terrible. They have good cause for trembling. To those who oppose God, he is terrible. That's terrible to say. But the Bible never called us to be nice. The Bible didn't call Christians to be nice. And sometimes we have to say things that might sound terrible to the unregenerate. We should be loving and love our neighbors, but I'm not called to be nice. And so if you're not God's, if you're not His, God does not have a wonderful plan for your life. I was invited to go to a venue that I will not mention. Still praying about it. And I looked at the website for the minister that will be preaching at this venue. And their soteriology is telling the lost world, again, this is the old phrase, God has a wonderful plan for your life. But my dear friends, God has a wonderful plan for His church. God's plan for the unregenerate is to cast them into the lake of fire. So tell, to tell a lost world that God has a wonderful plan for your life is a lie. Because the truth is, God's wonderful plan for you might be to cast you in the lake of fire. That's what I tell the lost in the world all the time. That's why I compel them to come to Christ for salvation. After preaching the law and gospel to them. And if you get saved, He has a wonderful plan for your life. And it's eternal life in heaven with Him. Where there is no more pain, no more sorrow, no more tears, no more sin, etc. etc. And so the answer to this rhetorical question... And who may stand in thy sight when once thou art angry? The answer is, no one will stand. No one can stand. That's why I have Christ to stand in my place on judgment day. When us Christians stand before God, we can plead Christ. Lord, the only reason why I deserve to go into heaven It's because Christ stands in my place. He is the interposer. That's why the church gets to go to heaven, because of what Christ accomplished on that glorious cross. As it says in Psalm chapter one, six verses, the first three speak of the regenerate, and then verses 5 through 6 speak of the unregenerate, the non-saved. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his light doth he meditate day and night, and he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth its fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. That's for Christians. Now listen to the warning to the non-save, verses 4-6. through But the ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in judgment. They shall not stand in judgment. Nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Oh, we will all stand before God on judgment day. Everyone will stand. But the non-saved will not be able to stand they're not going to be, make it. That's why we as the church must go out and give them the law and the gospel. Verses 8 and 9. Thou didst cause judgment to be heard from heaven, the earth feared and was still. When God arose to judgment to save all the meek of the earth, Selah. Another pause in the Selah, in, in, in the stanza. In verse 8, he mentions how God's judgment can be heard from heaven. Folks, we have heard God's judgment from heaven. We all have in different ways. We've seen God's judgment from heaven. On some of the news reports that we watch on television, we can see God's judgment occurring today. God Almighty judges either directly himself or indirectly through the hands of sinister men. His judgment can also come from natural disasters. Uh, recently, my wife and I watched a documentary on television called Fire in Paradise about the devastating 2019 fires in Paradise, California. The video showed how some people literally had to pray their way through the flames. Many survived, but many did not survive. An entire city was demolished, and many are still missing. And God decreed that to happen. And many people realize that live, that were Christians, saw God's hand in that. You mean God's hand can be in destruction? Yes, it can. But He's also a God that rebuilds and restores and redeems. Verse 9 says, When God arose to judgment to save all the meek of the earth, say, Law. The purpose of this judgment, of the judgment, is twofold. There's obviously the judgment, the great white throne judgment, which. I don't know if I've done an exposition of that here. Yes, I actually did, about six months ago. Uh, It's a powerful passage in the Scriptures. It's horrifying. It's rated R, as I warn, rated R for graphic violence. It's horrible, wicked, to see what will happen to the unregenerate. No, it's not wicked. It's God glorifying to see what he will do to the wicked. But the purpose of a judgment is twofold first is to let others know reinforcing that God is still sovereign king and ruler over all and that there are consequences to sin imagine a courtroom where there's no consequences to sin ever criminals would love that wouldn't they it's a great way to raise the crime rate but this judgment for some is immediate for some it's eventual and some it's eternal Christ will escape Christ's church will escape the ultimate judgment. Secondly, the judgment of God gives comfort to the people of God, the meek. It says here that he comes for the meek, to save all the meek of the earth, say law. He saves the meek, blessed are the meek. They will inherit the kingdom of God. And God is glorified in this. So God is glorified in judgment of some and is glorified in the salvation of others. I have family members, children, and 13 grandchildren. Some of them are saved. God will be glorified in that. But church, not many parents will say this. Some of them are not saved, and they will perish in hell. And God will still be glorified in that. Moving on to verses 10 through 12. Surely the wrath of man shall praise thee. The remainder of wrath shall... Thou restrain. Vow and pay unto the Lord your God. Let all that be round about him bring presents unto him that ought to be feared. He shall cut off the spirit of princes. He is terrible to the kings of the earth. In verse ten, surely the wrath of man shall praise thee, the reminder excuse me, the remainder of wrath shalt thou restrain. Back in 2017 we all saw on television the worst shooting massacre ever in america's history that was the jason alden concert in las vegas i wrote a blog post about it which was absolutely hated by so many people i had so many professing christians just call me to the carpet on it Though there were many decent people, good old country music, it's not what it used to be, folks. It used to be decent. But there were many good, decent people, some God fearing people, some God bless America type of people that were at the concert, no doubt. But the brutal truth is, the attendees were, many of the attendees were the revelers mentioned in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 8 through 9. Many of them were literally practicing the sinful lifestyles mentioned in those passages, including but not limited to fornication, drunkenness, revelry, sensuality, worldliness, homosexuality, sorcery, which is drug use, etc., etc. So how do you know you weren't there? I wasn't. But you can see in their own Facebook posts. You can see them post what they're doing while they're there live on Facebook. On social media, by their own admission, flaunting these sins. I remember one video while the shooter was still firing rounds, still firing him. He had a beer in one hand and he's screaming. He can't see the shooter. The police don't even know where the sniper is yet. And he's flipping the guy off, cursing profanities at the sniper with thick slurred speak holding his beer in one hand staggering as he's telling the sniper off how ridiculous how sinful is this and that's why I believe God decreed that shooting to occur because of the lasciviousness and the sin that was proudly, arrogantly portrayed there there was a street preacher in the Los Angeles area, actually Ventura County, at a Jason Alden concert, on his large megaphone, calling all men everywhere to repent, and trying to preach the gospel, and people were flipping him off and mocking the preacher. And we wonder why God decreed something like that to happen at a concert. That preacher was giving those warnings before that shooting even occurred. As horrific as that shooting massacre was, God is still restraining much of His wrath today. He's holding it back, church. As another said, God often overrules the wickedness of men to His own glory, as in the cruelty of Joseph's brethren, in the hardness of Pharaoh's heart, and the betrayal and and crucifixion of Jesus Christ, and here in discomfitting the greatest and best equipped armies. End of quote. Moving forward. Wow, as we go through these Psalms, and again the only ones that we're skipping are because they're they're parallel each other or they're repetitive in nature, but we're fast forwarding through some of them because we've already taught things that were so similar. but... Many of them do speak of God's judgment and wrath. And know this, that Christ went to that cross and bore God's wrath instead of your place if you're saved in this congregation. He did that for us, for church, for his church. And so when we see his judgment and his wrath, it ought to make us appreciate our salvation even more that he would save a wretch like me Verse 11. Vow and pay only unto the Lord your God. Let all that be round about Him bring presents unto Him that ought to be feared. Regarding vows. Vows are either conditional or unconditional. If you're married here, you made a marriage vow. Don't break it. A conditional vow is made for things to come. Conditional vow to God. It's made for things to come. And it is seen in Genesis 28, beginning with verse 20. Then God made a vow saying, if God will be with me and keep me in this way that I am going and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on so that I come back to my father's house in peace, then notice the condition, then the Lord shall be my God. And the stone which I have set as a pillar shall be God's house, and all of you that give me, that you give me, I will surely give you a tenth to you. He made a vow to God there, a conditional vow. Now, my salvation was not conditional. He saved me against my will, He chose me, He elected me. I didn't accept Him, He accepted me. But I did make a conditional vow through that salvation process. An unconditional vow is this. An unconditional vow is made in gratitude to God for the mercies already received or the mercies that are being received or the mercies that are going to be received. Constantly giving God thanks. Making an unconditional vow. What would I do with the monetary gifts? What will I do with the providential gifts? What would I do with the Holy Spirit's gifts? What will I do? I vow to do this, Lord. I remember in 1991, November 14th, to be exact, making a conditional vow to God in the midst of a bloody gun battle, an ambush, an act of shooting at a church in Los Angeles. And now over the years, I've re-examined my vow. Reread my testimony that's written. Do I need to renown my vows? Do I need to repent? And I give an unconditional thanks for those mercies received. It was a conditional vow. Lord, I will serve you. I will tell others about you. And then sense past tense salvation. An unconditional vow to god giving thanks for the mercies received nevertheless if or when we break our vows which we will we do we are sinning against our lord it's important church to a lot of reformers don't think and testimony is important i actually do i think testimonies are important They should never replace the gospel, ever, because the power of God under salvation is the gospel. But our testimonies are important. And if you don't have it written down on a journal or online or wherever it might be, just to re examine your testimony of when you got saved and how you got saved, and ponder on those thoughts and reflect on them and ask the Lord to minister to you and how can you renew your unconditional vows. After salvation. Verse 12. He shall cut off the spirit of princes. He is terrible to the kings of the earth. No doubt persecution will increase in America. I know many Christians do not believe that. Um, But much of the persecution I do believe will not come from the atheists. It will not come from the gay community, though it will. It will not come from an unsaved world, though it will. But it will also come from the government government will persecute us police officers courts judges criminal and civil I sent the church an email just the other day from a reformed baptist pastor with a list of pastors that are receiving heavy, lev- heavy levies today 13 months after the lockdown still receiving fines for having church They're being persecuted by the hands of a judicial system, the government, and police officers. That's why every time I have an encounter with a law enforcement officer in the streets while preaching the glorious gospel, which is frequently, I always share the gospel with him. And if he rejects my gospel track, then I stand and I preach against his will. Because if the Lord chooses to save that one cop, he may be the one that will set somebody free from a pair of stainless steel handcuffs. Stainless steel bracelets. But at the end, Almighty God shall cut off the spirit of princes It says He is terrible to the kings of the earth. Here's what God will do to them. God will punish those that persecute His church. The same God that will be terrible to evil governments and tyrants and the unregenerate is the same God that is loving and merciful to His church. We see how the Lord how the Lord did this in the Scriptures. We saw Him do that through church history. We can count on His providence and His protection and His intervention in the future. The same God that judges is the same God that saves. The same God that brings His wrath to the unregenerate is the same God that brought His love through the Lordship of His Son, Jesus Christ, through the atonement that He did on that cross cross for His church, through His death, burial, and resurrection. You see, the same God that is infinite in love is the same God that's infinite in wrath and hatred towards sin. And the question is, which attribute of God Will you come to know on judgment day Father thank you we love you we praise you we give you the glory the honor the respect we worship you we idolize you we thank you Son, your son Jesus Christ for the salvation of your church this church here but also your universal church as well as those that have already left us as well as all the Christians that have already preceded us in death, that are already in glory, we also thank you for saving them as well. The church will meet so many people in heaven that we never even knew existed. We ask that we as a local church would grow in your grace and knowledge of your son Jesus Christ. We ask that we would worship you. Next. And the ordinance of your Holy Communion and that means of grace as Pastor Mike hosts that Holy Communion service. In Jesus' name, Amen.